before we continue any further, we actually have a special testimony this morning from Susanna Baker, and she's going to come and share their story about their uh, adoption journey. And so I'm going to turn it over to her. morning. My name is Susanna Baker, and I am Taylor's sister, which is super fun, his older sister. Um, and we, we pulled into church this morning, and this is my, our, my youngest daughter, Mia Grace. Can you say good morning? <laughs> and um, she, we got close to the church, and she started getting so excited. She goes, I go in there. I said, yes, that's Uncle Taylor's church. And she said, no, that's Mia's church. And Mia is what the grandkids call my mom. And so I thought that was pretty cute. I was like, you're, yeah, you're probably right. That is Mia's church. And a lot of, she probably birthed this church through prayer. Yeah. Okay, you can in just a minute. Okay. So it is a privilege to testify um, this morning about adoption. My husband and I have been married for almost 16 years, and we have four daughters. Um, ages 11, 9, 7, and Mia Grace is our youngest. She's three. She'll be four in January. And I wanted to um, start off by reading a quote from Russell Moore's book, Adopted for Life. And we adopted Mia Grace when she was um, 17 months old from China. And she uh, spent the first 17 months of her life in a communist government-run orphanage. She was um, dropped off by her mom and dad when she was four days old in sort of like a baby drop box or hutch. And um, her mom left a note telling when her birthday was, but that's about the only history, biological history we have on her. So <clears throat> it was a two and a half year journey for us to adopt her. And um, it has just been pure joy. She is truly a delight and a joy. Um, but this is what Russell Moore in his book, Adopted for Life says. Only in light of Jesus' identity, the Son of the Father, did Peter learn who he was to be. Only there did he find where he fit in the household of God. The same is true for all of us. When we lose our identity, we find it in Christ. If you are in Christ, he's given you a new name, a name you've never heard that wouldn't make sense to you right now. It would be like yelling, Mia Grace Baker, in the halls of an orphanage where she was an infant, and her name was Ling Yu. It would be like saying, Mia Grace Baker. But you'll get used to it. Other renames, like Israel and Abraham and Peter and Paul, didn't make sense either at first. More important than your name, however, is hearing it called out by one you've come to know, or rather, who has come to know you. When you see him for the first time face to face, when your legal adoption is fully realized, the spirit within you will cry out, Abba, Father. And you'll hear another voice, louder than all the others, cry out the same thing. You'll turn to see him, the Messiah of Israel, the emperor of the universe, Jesus of Nazareth, and you'll call him brother. And adopting me a grace and knowing her name has helped me know my name. And that is what I want to testify in regards to adoption this morning. When she was, um, we first started the adoption process two and a half years before we got her, I started to pray and for this faceless, nameless baby girl from China. And I, it was in April of 2013. And um, I remember really clearly, and I, I was like, Lord, this is really hard. I don't know how to pray for her. It's really hard praying for a nameless, faceless kid. And he said, I know her name. He said, it's mine. Fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. That's Isaiah 43.1. And right then I knew I looked at Jason and I said, I know the name of our daughter. Her name is Mia. Mia means mine, grace. She's mine by grace. She belongs to the Lord first, and then she belongs to us. And, and knowing her name, um, I've come to know my name. My name is mine. I belong to the Lord, and I'm his by grace. And just like there is nothing she did um, that earned our family name, she wasn't like outstanding in the orphanage and great at putting puzzles together. We got a little two-by-three picture of her. She had a cleft lip and palate, and we said, okay, we think this is our daughter. That was it. And there's nothing she can do now, no sin, like Paul was talking about. You cannot unearn 
salvation. She cannot unearn her name. She may want to sometimes. She can't do it. Nothing that she does that's good, nothing that she does that's bad. She is legally ours, bound by court adoption, court-sealed adoption. And it's just been a beautiful picture. We look nothing alike. We have nothing in common as far as culturally speaking or background speaking. What we have in common is that God called me mine first, and then he said, she's mine, and I'm letting you have her for a time. And she has made my salvation through adoption come alive for me. And I just want to say that um, adoption is necessary for the church for us to know our name. Without adoption in our midst, we will not know who we are. Right? Right. Right. Can you say thank you for letting me come? Thank you, Mary. Okay. But we will, yeah, she can go. Thank you. But she will not, she, we will not know who we are um, as the church without adoption in our midst. So perhaps God has called your family to adoption. Perhaps he's called you to give to adoption. Perhaps he's called you to pray for adoption. But we have to be, as a church, involved in the act of adoption or we will not know who we are. And um, I just want to encourage those of you who maybe have stirrings towards adoption and you think, well, I don't know if I've received a call. Adoption for us was never a call. It was simply an act of obedience. It was just one foot in front of the other. It wasn't like we ever, the fear just disappeared. We we're like, yes, that's, we're just totally at peace about um, having a toddler we have never met placed in our arms and saying she's yours forever. I mean, it was so scary. And that fear did not dissipate. There's still days that I'm like, what am I doing, you know? But it is obedience and in the obedience there has been great joy and great delight not just for us but our my extended family and then our our church family and our community she has brought so much joy and so much life so if you have any questions about adoption or how do I get started or how do I even take a, a step and we had a really wise couple tell us at the beginning of the journey just if you're feeling led in any way to stepping through that door of adoption just take the next step and God's big enough. He'll shut the door. He will shut the door if that is not what, where he wants you to go. But if it is, just take the next step and then the next and then the next. And he will um, bring it to pass in his way and in his good time with the child that he has for you that he has said, mine. So thank you for letting um, me share this morning. It's a privilege to be here today. Oh man, this is uh, if you don't know who Jesus is, you, the difference between Christianity and every other world religion out there is summed up in that, and it's summed up in what we're talking about today, that there's no other religion out there that says, God loved you so much that he crossed heaven and earth to chase you down, to come and adopt you and to bring you in. I mean, that is the story of the gospel. And man, that's our prayer for y'all this morning, that as, we, as you listen to Susanna, as we read through Ezekiel, as you listen to Taylor, that God would just grab your heart and that you would know the depths to which he loves you and the depths to which he's pursued you. Um, whew. We're not a perfect church, but we worship an unbelievably perfect savior, amen? All right, uh, today we're going to be in Ezekiel 16. Um, it, it's a for real passage. So Ezekiel, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, when you get there, find your way to chapter 16 and then stand with me, if you would, for the reading of God's word. Every week we go to the scriptures because we believe it's here that Jesus is most clearly revealed. Um, and even though we're in the Old Testament and it's God talking to Israel, it's God talking to to us through Israel. It's his message of the gospel and how he has pursued us. Um, so Ezekiel 16, uh, starting in verse one and going through 14. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. 
Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you even washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but instead you were cast out on the open field. You were abhorred, and on the day that you were born, and when I passed by you, I saw you wallowing in your blood, and I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. And I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. And when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. And I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water, and I washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments, and I put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. God, who are we that you would come and you would pursue us? Lord, I pray that you would open our minds and open our hearts to realize how truly destitute and desperate we were until you found us. How deep your love was for us, that you have done everything to bring us into your family and we are wholly yours and nothing can separate us from the blood of your son. God, I pray that you would just anoint Taylor this morning. I pray that you would speak through him, that your word would just cut straight through to our hearts. God, we love you. and We want to see you lifted high. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you, brother. Good morning again to you. It is good to see you, church. I got to say, real quickly, before I jump in, that uh, for those of you that have been with us for almost any amount of time, you'll know that uh, we've been praying for uh, Robert and Ashley Ferran and to get pregnant, and they got pregnant, and then they, it was, they had, all of a sudden, I remember when Robert called me one day, and was like, bro, we have twins. I was like, yes! He was like, oh, man. <laughs> and two boys, and and, and they were high risk, and then God delivered them, and they were born safely and preemies, and now this is their first Sunday here with their parents. I just got to say, yes, Jesus, woo! I mean, it is so good to see all four of you. Yeah, your family size just doubled. That is so, as if you didn't know that. Yeah, I don't think Ashley slept for the past 30 days, and Robert probably hasn't much either. Um, but what a blessing, and what a great Sunday, adoptions, adoption and fostering Sunday, the blessing of of little lives, so yeah, really glad y'all are here, really glad, I'm just as glad that everybody's here, um, it's just so good to be with you. Okay, so br- briefly before I jump into adoption and fostering, in this Life Matters series, it was a five-part series and we've chopped it, we've chopped it to three, this is the last uh, in this series, the next two weeks before our Reformation, our five-week Reformation series, um, we're not sure yet what we're going to do, I might fin- we might finish Galatians. Um, since we chopped off the last chapter. Um, we're doing that for two reasons. We, we started with human trafficking, great sermon by Rob Morris on that, um, president of one of our partners, Love 146. And then last week was a abortion, really heavy, really heavy sermon, but really needed. Um, 
help us engage as a community with what's going on. And then adoption and fostering. We, were, we, we had poverty and then racial reconciliation slated, super important topics, but because, because in part we're passionate about them, we don't want to preach them in that. It's just too much right now. We just sense that these are really important, weighty topics, and it's a lot of heavy info. We don't want to overwhelm you more than you already are to crush you down. Um, but number two, we want you to act on what I say you. We want, as a church, to step into over the next months and years to figure out how to become a culture of life in all these ways. That's the goal. That's the desire. And we don't want to just have you have a bunch of information so much that you just you, you short circuit. Too much info, you know, powering down, you know. And so um, we don't want that. We want to act on these things because as we learn about them, we're, then we're more accountable. We're more accountable to do something about them. So um, but that's it. That, so this is it for this series. Um, the, the short and simple of today is this, that God loves adoption. So if you had to leave right now or if you leave in 30 minutes and, and you hadn't heard of some, another word I said, just know what's been said already in a thousand different ways. God is a huge fan of adoption. God loves adoption. That's the point of this message, okay? Um, I want to give you a bit, start out with a bit of just the situation with foster children and adopted or, and orphans in our city in particular. So every year, about 23,000 children in America age out of the foster care system without finding a permanent family. Um, this is tragic for a host of reasons, two of which are that only 2% of children who age out of foster care will go on to get a college education, 2%. Also, 80% of the prison population consists of kids who were once in foster care at some point in their lives. Um, orphans and children who've aged out of the foster care system, statistically, Rob mentioned this, have a much higher chance of being trafficked um, than those with parents. So if you want to fight trafficking, going back to two weeks ago, how do I fight trafficking? A great way to fight trafficking is to adopt or foster, or to help, and we'll get into this later, or to help to play a part in someone else who's adopting and fostering. Adoption and fostering is not for everyone. It's certainly not. If we all prayed the same and we're really seeking God's will the same and open to it, we wouldn't all end up adopting and fostering. And I'm going to get more into that, okay? Um, but that's a great way to fight human trafficking, strangely enough. Um, in 2015, more than half of the children entering the U.S. foster care system uh, were young people of color. So if you, again, if you care about, um, so one of the best things to do if you care not only about the welfare of children, but about the welfare of minority children, about minorities, um, then one of the best things you can do is to foster or adopt. Uh, 8.5, 81, excuse me, the difference of a digit, the difference a digit can make. 81.5 million Americans have, here's the word, considered adoption. 81.5 million Americans have considered adoption. If one in 500 of those would actually uh, adopt, then every, or foster, then every waiting child in the foster care system uh, would have a permanent family. If one in 500 of those who have considered at some point would do that. Okay, so you see the, the distance between, and I'm not saying, therefore, if you consider and don't adopt or foster, bad on you. I'm not saying that at all. Because we all need to, as a culture of life, as Christians who need to care about adoption and fostering, jump into this in some way and say, okay, what's my role, Lord? Again, we'll get into that more. And it's okay if the Lord leads you based on your family situation or whatever, Based on the, the nature of your church family, I could be of better use in some other way. That's okay if that's your direction. But if the point here is that if one in 500 would act and foster or adopt, the system would dry up. Isn't that amazing? Um, and last stat before I jump into how much God loves adoption. As of last year, 2016, 4,800 children uh, were in the foster care system in our county, in Harris County. Um, and I know that Houston, I think the, the larger Houston area com comprises like nine different counties or something like that. But 4,800 children in the Harris County foster system, um, and there are about half in Houston proper. Houston proper is about half the number of, of Harris County total. So you have about 4.5 million in Harris County, about 2.2 million in Houston. So this is cowboy math, but if, basically if one, and this is conservative, if one, if every church in Houston proper would just adopt um, or foster, excuse me, would foster one child. So if every single church, I mean, some churches in Houston are what, like 50,000 people plus? Uh, we're the land of megachurches, and some are 20. But if every church would just foster one child, 
then this, the phosphorus system would dry up. It wouldn't exist anymore in Houston. Isn't that amazing? So that's, that's some of the stats. That's some of the importance of fostering and adoption. Um, and, and, and the fact is, the rest of the sermon until the how-to at the end, we're just going to talk about how much God loves adoption, 2.2. All right, so the first is that um, we are, we who have trusted in Christ and looked to Christ um, to do what we couldn't and to bring us into the family of God, we are God's children. God loves adoption. He loves it so much that he's adopted, he's adopted we, uh, we who are in Christ. So um, let me break that down a little bit. We were created to be his children. And you see a little bit of that in the text that Austin read in Ezekiel 16, that really intense, beautiful, beautiful text. Um, he made us to be his children. Adam is called the son of God in Genesis 5. He, he, we were his prized creation, but we chose to go our own way. Adam and Eve chose to go their own way and to disobey God and to trust in what they thought was good and not what he had said was good. And they severed that relationship with him. And when the branch cuts itself off from the trunk, it dies. When, when they decided to go their own way, away from the source of life, there was nothing for them but death, and God had promised that. And death set into the human race, and it didn't just set into the human race, it set into all creation, because God put humanity, his prized possession, over all creation and said, rule. Rule and reign and image me, and take care of my creation, and I will be, you will be my children, I will be your father. And we messed that up through our sin. And so all of creation has been groaning, Paul says, ever since then, and out of order. Um, one, one, actually the guy that Susanna read from earlier, one guy says that we were, he says we were orphaned, to put it in this kind of language, we were orphaned at the fall. Um, and our father became uh, the father of darkness, not the father of light. He became dead in our sins and trespasses and doing the works of the devil, our father. Um, and that was the situation, and we found ourselves living in an orphaned universe, and that's where Genesis 3 leaves us, but God didn't leave his people there. And the rest of the Bible is about that, about what Austin or Susanna said about God going to amazing lengths to, to rescue his people from the mess that they had made. Um, so the whole universe, uh, Russell Moore, this author that Susanna read from, said, the whole universe is now an orphanage in one sense. You know, there's even for those who don't believe the scriptures to be the word of God or don't even believe there is a God, there's this phrase floating around in the postmodern West in this secular age that we live in. Something goes something like, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. And there's this, this almost palpable sense in our culture of that very thing, of whether or not whatever you believe about God and about Judeo, the Judeo-Christian faith and the scriptures there's a sense that our culture and the people in our culture that have basically said God is dead, you know, that's, everything's material, they miss. There's something missing outside in the world that they live in, in them. There's this longing, this cry, and they can't, they can't put a label on it that, that satisfies because they don't believe in God. Hey, we were made for God. You know, he's called us back to him. We're orphans right now. We live in an orphaned universe but he's, he's, he's provided a way to be our father once more, and that's what's groaning in us, and that's what feels so wrong, but that is the case. But even if they don't believe that, they, they miss this idea of God, and there's something, there's a hole inside of us. Um, and again, in this text that Austin read in Ezekiel 16, this is a topical sermon, so I'm, unfortunately, not, I'm not gonna go through this beautiful, rich text and unpack it. Normally, we preach expositorily through passages, which is sort of our, the way we like to roll, but sometimes we have thematic series, and this is one of those. Um, but it shows so clearly what I've been talking about, that, that God says to Israel, look, because of the fall, the whole world that I created, you'd made a mess of it, and everything was chaos, and it was, it was, it's a metaphor, right? It was as if you were a child that was just thrown out. Your cord hadn't even been snipped. People hadn't even taken, the surgeon hadn't even taken care yet to snip that cord. You were just thrown, just torn out from your mom and thrown on the ground, bloody, a bloody mess, wallowing in your own filth and dying and left for dead, exposure. And I walked past you, as it were, God said, and I saw you. And as Austin said, I said to you, live. He spoke that word of life, that beautiful, powerful word of life that gives life over this child. And he called this child his own. And he took care of her, and she grew up, and she was still naked. And so the next part of the passage says he took care to clothe her. And then the passage goes into the fact, switches metaphors, I adopted you as my own. You did nothing. You were wallowing 
If you, I mean, if you think about salvation based on merit, think about that. What have we done to deserve God's attention? We were wallowing in our filth. No, God, he set his love upon us through no good of our own in Jesus Christ. And then the metaphor switches and it says that he covenanted to his people in a, in a, in a, in a, in a marriage covenant. Marriage is a reflection of what God has done with his people. And he said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will set my love upon you. I will make you lovely. I clothed you and you became this beautiful woman. And then the passage goes on to say something that we didn't read, which is that. So that's all about God loves adoption. God has covenanted to his people. He wants to bring us to himself and to satisfy us with his goodness until we're satisfied in God. We'll keep running after other things, big houses, big cars, our job, the approval of other people, on and on and on and on it goes. But that stuff's never gonna satisfy us because we weren't made for that stuff. That stuff's good, but in its proper place. We were made to be satisfied by our maker. And so we're gonna continue to, to be dissatisfied as we run, that, that, as we run after that other stuff. So, so God, um, he goes on to say, but right after the bit that Austin leaves off, it says that you, you went away and you started sleeping with other lovers. And that's, that's what I just described. Like, we do that. We do that. We run after other stuff, and the whole time God is saying, I love you, I've made you for myself, you won't be satisfied in anything else, and I'm calling you to myself, come back. And as Susanna said, he went to ultimate lengths to grab us back, and, and let me talk about that for a little bit before moving on to the next point, okay? The son was orphaned. This is how much God loves us, and we hear this every week, but son Jesus Christ, the very son of God, was orphaned so that we could be made sons of God. God went to the ultimate lengths to get us back, okay? Um, in Paul, the apostle, he wrote about half the New Testament. In his world, um, adoption was ordinarily by families with means, with wealth, who didn't have children of their own, who, um, who would adopt a son, typically, to pass on their estate to, a son who had done things, who was respectable, that had a good name, they would give their name to that, to that son or daughter and pass on their, their family um, to that son or daughter. Not the case with us. What were we doing of merit? We were wallowing in our own blood. And God passed us and he said, you, I want you, live. And he showered us with his blessings. And that he has done in Jesus. If you wanna know what God thinks of you, look to Jesus. If you wanna know the lengths that God has gone to win you to himself, to shower his love upon you, look at the lengths that he went to through his son, Jesus Christ. In John 14, 30, Jesus says this. He says, the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim. He's talking about Satan. The ruler of this world is coming and he has no claim on me. Um, but a mass, what he's saying is Satan can't touch me. He can touch us because we've sinned and then we give Satan a foothold and we give him dominion in our lives. But Jesus says, I'm sinless. I haven't done anything. He has no claim on me. But a massive claim was laid on Jesus, wasn't it? His life ended in death for a time. He rose, but his life ended in death. That's the most massive claim someone can make on you. And he went all the way down to the depths of hell and suffered hell. Why? Because a massive claim has been laid on us because of sin, okay? And he took that claim upon himself, he who, upon whom Satan had no claim, okay? So that, so that Satan would have no claim on those who look to Jesus Christ, okay? Um, Moore says this, when Jesus is stapled, to the Roman torture device, meaning the cross. He bears the full weight of the curse of an orphan creation. So not only did he die, if you looked at him, in your place, but he absorbed the curse that has poisoned all of creation into himself in the cross and buried it. And then he rose three days later. And in so rising, he began a new type of creation, one that will be free of sin free of death, free of pain, free of longing of any kind that's fully satisfied and it groans no more. And we see that process working itself out, but we're in the in-between. He hasn't finished it, but he's begun it, and he's done all the work necessary for it, okay? So he absorbed the work, the, the, uh, the curse of an orphan creation on that cross. Um, Russell Moore, time for a little story, breathe. I say to you, breathe. God said to you, that was a pun on God said to you, live, and I say to you, breathe, sorry, Okay. Laugh, laugh, breathe. All right, um, Russell Moore, he, he talks about, he says, he, he, talk, he details his experience um, adopting these two Russian boys in this orphanage. It's a lot, it seems like a lot like the one Suzanne and Jason walked into, real bare, 
And he says, the most harrowing experience out of everything was walking into that orphanage and going into the room where all the orphans were kept in cribs. Dozens and dozens and dozens of babies. Infants. Silent. Why? Because they had learned that nobody was going to touch them. Nobody was going to pick them up. Nobody was going to comfort them when they screamed. Orphans learned that. And so they just stopped. And they were rocking themselves. Um, and he knew that progress had been made when, right before the adoption was final, but he'd had contact with his sons. He started to walk out of that room one day, and one of his sons started, future sons, started crying for him. He said, okay, we've made a connection. This, this little child now knows that I'm going to respond. And y'all, on the cross, on the cross, one of the things that the scriptures say that Jesus cried out was, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? The very son of God, he doesn't say my father, he says, my God, why have you abandoned me? Was abandoned because he absorbed the curse that we've created through our rebellion and idolatry into himself, and he became the shunned one. He became the one whom God the Father, I say it with reverence, left so that we wouldn't have to be, so that we could be brought in and made sons. And I don't say sons and daughters for a reason, so that we could be made, yes, sons and daughters, yes. But the scripture that was read, Romans 8, okay, in Galatians 3 and other places, talk about the fact that we, because Christ was abandoned on the cross, he took our place, was our substitute. We, when we look to him, have been brought in as, as adopted sons. Um, Tim Keller, I mentioned this at the weekly prayer meeting that we had on Wednesday. Tim Keller says this. He's a preacher up in Newark, and he says that Jesus hung on the cross for you with every ability to get down from that cross and to call the angels down to rescue him and to pulverize those who are crucifying him. He had every option to do that at any time, and he chose constantly to push that option away and to stay on that cross to finish the work of being abandoned so that we could be brought in, to finish the work that was necessary to pay for your sins so that you could be, guys, clean, free. And Keller says, he did that for you as an expression of his love for you and as a way to completely clear you before God who is just. And, uh, and you think that your salvation depends on you in any way, and you think that you can, as a, as a believer, you can mess up, you can slip into sin, you can slip into sin again, you can have a bad day or a bad week or a bad month or, heck, maybe a bad year, and that God is just going to say, enough. He didn't come down off that cross and he finished the work, so what makes you think? What makes you think that he's just had enough? No, the cross is an expression of the undying, ironclad love of God for you. Um, Moore goes on to say, but God lifts Jesus out of his hole in the ground and gives him the universe as his inheritance. The curse is lifted for Jesus and for all who are found in him. The Westminster Confession, it's a confession we go to some um, of the Reformed faith, and um, it says this, this beautiful thing about adoption. It says, adoption's an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have, get this word, and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Not, man, uh, it's, no, it's no tenuous ground that you stand on if you've looked to Jesus for your salvation. You have a right to it, as much as he does as a true son, because he gives you, he gives you his righteousness, and he took your sin and paid for it all. So you stand on that solid ground. It's on Christ. It's not on your feeling. It's not on whether you've had a good week. It's not on how many quiet times you've had. It's not on how much you've come to worship on Sunday, okay? Um, adoption, as I've said, is the crown jewel of the Christian life. We talk a ton about being justified, being made right with God through the payment of Christ. We, we talk a lot about our sins being forgiven and being purified, and all that's true. All that's true. 
But John Frame says this. He says, justification is amazing and wonderful, but adoption is the apex. It's the high point in our relationship with God. Y'all, we are adopted. Here's what I want to unpack for you briefly. We're adopted as sons, Galatians 3.26. Okay, we are adopted as sons and daughters, but the Bible specifically in certain places, Galatians 3, Romans 8, other places, uses the word sons, period. And here's why. Because in the ancient Near East, when this this was being written, in this cultural milieu, um, sons and first sons especially, whom Jesus is, the first and only begotten son of God the Father, uncreated, heir to all that is, okay, having all power. Um, in, that, in that culture, sons, the oldest son, received the lion's share of the inheritance, and he kept the family together. And that is what we are privy to. Not the inheritance of daughters in the ancient Near East, the inheritance of first sons, because that's Jesus's, and as you trust in Jesus, it's now yours. That's, that's our inheritance, and our inheritance is the undying affection and love of the Father that he has for Jesus is now yours in Christ. It's a free gift. There's nothing you can do but trust in Jesus. Um, we're adopted as sons, and that's our inheritance. Again, in Galatians 4, which we preached recently, um, in 5, 521, there's this list of sins, this list of egregious sins that we've all committed in various ways, and then it says, and then it says those who practice such things will not receive what? The inheritance. It doesn't say those who, practice such th- these, those who practice such things don't measure up, sorry, your performance needs to improve big time. Not what it says. They won't receive the inheritance. What can you do? How many good things can you do? What kind of performance can you have to receive an inheritance? Nothing. Like Susanna said with Mia Grace, an inheritance is given to sons and daughters, and that's what Jesus brings us into, the smile and the full inheritance and pleasure and affection of God that writes our soul. Our, our lives and our creation is a broken bone, and Jesus sets the bone, he restores it, and that's what he does with our lives. And when that is right, and when you walk into that by faith and trust in Jesus, everything else in your life, yeah, you're gonna, still gonna suffer, man. I'm not gonna sit here and preach a health, wealth gospel and tell you, come to Jesus and your life is gonna be right. Heck no, you might suffer more, but guess what? The bone is gonna be set, and all the lesser loves are gonna find their place and you're gonna to begin to work the way that God made you to work. And, and, and man, all those little things that we go to, Christians and non-Christians alike, to seek, to seek being, having, having our identity rooted and grounded, like that's what makes me who I am, that, what that person thinks of me, okay? Or my job, my excellent performance, or the school I have, or the resume that I have, or how big my house is, or whatever it is, what people, again, what people think of me. No, none of that works, but the fact that God has adopted me and loves me with an undying love and approves of me and gives me the full inheritance of Christ. Like, when that sinks in and as it sinks in more and more throughout our lives, the other stuff's just extra and it finds its place. It finds its place. Um, Abba's not just what uh, kids, you know, we read that text in Romans 8 that talks about how we get to call God Abba. It's not just what kids called their dads in the ancient Near East in Aramaic. It's, it's Aramaic. It's the language Jesus spoke. It's what Jesus called his dad. Um, we call Jesus, uh, we call God what Jesus did, okay? Again, we are adopted. We have the inheritance because he did. Um, so not only has God chosen to adopt us in his son, uh, but God chose for his son, and this will be a quick point, okay? And then we'll do a few how-tos. Not only did God cho- choose to adopt us through Jesus, but he chose for his own son to be adopted. Um, I wanna talk just briefly, briefly about Joseph and Jesus, um, Joseph, um, you think about him in the nativity play, if you've ever seen one as a kid or whatever, or as an adult with your kids in it or something. And Joseph, uh, actually Russell Moore, the guy that wrote this book, Susanna read from, talks about it, and he's like, I was the donkey in the nativity play, and I had more lines than Joseph. Like, Joseph is usually just the static figure that's standing there with, like, this cowl over his, you know, over his... Um, uh, head, and you can't even see his face a lot of times. He's just in this brown thing, and he's just, he would almost be, he could, all, he could be a cardboard cutout, right? He's the, he's the non-entity in these, in these nativity plays. He's usually known more for what he didn't do than for what he did, unfortunately. But what Joseph did, Moore goes on to say, was cosmos shaking in its significance. Um, 
Joseph was not Jesus' biological father. The scriptures are clear. He was, Jesus was born of a woman, fully man, so he could represent humanity in what he did, in his life and death and resurrection. But he was born with God as his father. The Holy Spirit came on Mary, and Joseph had nothing to do with it. And so fully God and fully man, as God, he was able to pay our penalty and to live the life we couldn't live. And as man, he was able to represent us before the Father. It's essential, okay, that Joseph was not his biological father. But he is considered by God in the scriptures to be Jesus' legitimate father. Because when you start, like in Matthew 1, for instance, the beginning of the New Testament, the first verse says, you know, Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David. And it goes on to talk about his family roster and where he came from. And guess what line Matthew's tracing? He's tracing Joseph's line. He ends with Joseph, okay? Joseph was not biologically the father of Jesus, but he was con- that tie through King David, the royal tie, and through Abraham, through whom God would bless the nations and restore all things, is through Joseph. And so let me tell you this, friends. Russell Moore says it this way. If Joseph was not Jesus's, not biological, but real father in God's eyes, then we're all going to hell, we who look to Jesus for our salvation, because he had to satisfy that that royal, those royal claims to reign as a man over the things that man was given and that we lost through sin and to bless the world through Abraham. And if that tie isn't legitimate in God's eyes, we're all done. We're finished. We have no hope. So the choice of one father to a day laborer, a day laborer to adopt a son who was not his biologically, Mary became pregnant. She says, yeah, it's from the Holy Spirit. Um, can you imagine a woman standing up here, you know, eight months pregnant and saying, yeah, I thank, I thank God that, uh, that, this, that this baby, um, you know, is, is, is from God. It's such a gift. Like, I don't know where he came from. Like, that, we would all just be like, what the heck? You know, and that's what people did in Jesus' day. Till the day of his death, they were calling him a, the B word. I won't say it here. Um, and, hey, you're, you know, you were born out of wedlock, and, and you're, you don't have legitimate parents, but we do. Um, and so Joseph, he could have put Mary away quietly. But when he believed, because of what God had said, that, um, that God had given Mary this child to save us, he chose to stand in the gap and to share the shame that was Mary's and that was Jesus's. And, and because he stood in that gap, we have a savior whose name is Jesus Christ. And, and because he stood in that gap, little did he know probably, he had a savior whose name is Jesus Christ. Um, so you could see how significant his choice is. Planned Parenthood, there was a Christmas card that was put out by the largest national provider of abortions um, years ago. It made a big, a big fuss. It said choice on earth. Instead of peace on earth, which you read about in the Gospels, which is what the angels announced to the shepherds, peace on earth, there's a, a Christ child is coming, he's gonna bring peace. Um, they played on that terribly and said choice on earth. You know, you have a choice to, as to whether or not you wanna keep this child. You can get rid of this child and throw him in a waste bucket if you want to, it's your choice. And uh, a lot of Christians and others and, uh, got, got outraged, uh, rightly so, but Russell Moore comments on this. He says, it's oddly apt that Planned Parenthood cho- chose to use that phrase because Jesus was not born into a, quote, gauzy, snowy, winter wonderland of sweetly singing angels. He is born into a war zone. He chooses to be born into poverty to parents uh, in a family in which he would probably be considered illegitimate okay, and to be rejected by us and eventually to be crucified for us in our place as our Savior. He's born into a war zone. The incarnation is often said, uh, it means that God enters our mess. He advances toward our mess and toward people in trouble and not away from them, thank God. Um, And adopted sons and daughters of the king who has adopted us in Jesus, we also ought to enter into and advance toward the mess and the darkness and the estrangement of other people. It's what we do, because it's who we are. It's, we've been adopted. Jason Johnson, who talked a few weeks ago at a conference um, uh, called Let the Children Come that some of us went to, he said, God's people move toward the broken because that's what God does. It's who he is. Um, when he says in Exodus 3, I am, that name means I am with you. I am God who does not leave you. I go with you through the wilds, through the wilderness. I make you my own. I pass you wallowing in your own blood and I say live. And I covenant you to myself. Um, Adoption is an incarnation of the gospel. So what now? Just a few things. I'm just gonna rattle through these for the sake of time, okay? 
If you're taking notes, now would be a good time to take a few. I've got this stuff. We'll walk through this. Look, we will walk through this as a church family together to find out what does it mean to be a culture of life over the next months and years, okay? Um, so don't, don't worry. Just be convinced that God loves adoption so much that he has adopted you in Christ and that he chose to be adopted himself to save the world. Wow. Okay, what now? A lot of this is from a pastor who has adopted. He's fostered to adopt, and the, the baby there's um, Drew Knowles over at, over at Heights. We go to war, okay? Russell Moore says, the protection of children isn't charity. It isn't part of a political program fitting somewhere between tax cuts and gun rights or between carbon emission caps and a national service corps. It's spiritual warfare. Um, Drew says, I don't, I don't think everyone is called to foster care or to adopt, but the question isn't, as Susanna said, it's not what do we stand to lose, okay? The question isn't, uh, the question is what does a child stand to gain? We should not foster primarily or adopt primarily because we want kids, but because kids, those foster and adopt and orphan kids primarily because they need us, not primarily. Let's not, let's shift the driver from man, I really want kids. If we're having trouble having kids or we, we just have this desire welling up. And it's like Susanna said, like I did, we didn't wait for the desire. We knew it was the right, we knew there was a need. We knew we'd been adopted and we saw that there were thousands out there. And so we said, okay, we were compelled by our theology, by what God has done for us. So it's not so much what we want as what, what do the kids need? There's a huge need out there as I started the sermon saying. Um, first and foremost, we want um, orphan care and foster care to be an ordinary thing in our church not an extraordinary, like, hey, there's that couple over there, and there's one other one, couple, but they're not here. Like, we want this to be a culture of life where we normalize, we normalize foster care, adoption, fighting human trafficking, all these things, um, racial reconciliation. We, we go toward poverty instead of away from it, okay? Um, Luke 6, I was in Luke 6 this week. Um, there's a man... Uh, with a withered hand that, they, that the religious leaders plant in front of Jesus as he's teaching, and they know that he's so all about restoring people that he, he just won't be able to help himself when he sees this withered hand, so he will almost certainly heal this man. And it's on the Sabbath, which the Pharisees were like, man, you can't even do anything on the Sabbath, so if he, he's gonna break the law if he heals this man. And sure enough, Jesus, he tells the man to come, and he heals him. He can't even help himself because he's so full of compassion and he touches the man, and he has him stretch out his arm, and it's well, okay? And here's the thing that he said that got me. He said, I ask you, and he's looking around to the audience, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or harm, to save life or destroy it? Now, what, what got me there is that he doesn't say, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do nothing, to save life or to do nothing? That's not what Jesus says. He says, is it lawful to save life or destroy it, to do good or harm? In other words, what's he implying? He's implying that if, we, if it's within our power to save a life and we do nothing, we're actually destroying that life. That's what Jesus says right there. That is powerful, convicting stuff. And thank God that he put his money where his mouth was. He knew that there was a way for us to be saved and that he was that way and he went all the way to hell finish that work for us. Wow. When the Bible calls the people of God to correct oppression and bring justice to the fatherless, Drew says it's not, it's not uh, calling us to write a letter to our congressman only. It's calling us to get our hands dirty. It's calling us to be eyes to the blind, to be feet to the lame, to be fathers to the needy. Not just to fund it. To fund it, yes. To partner, yes. But also to get involved, to get our hands dirty. God's people move toward brokenness, sin, darkness and despair, not away from it. And because he did, we should, and here it is, because he did, and because he's with us, we can. We have his spirit, as Paul said. Um, okay, so a few things. I'm not, I'm just gonna bump over these and then we're done. How do we do this? Okay, one, you can foster or adopt. Um, adoption is costly, uh, financially fostering, not so much. Um, whether you're single, newly married, empty nester, everyone has a role to play in this, and I'll get into that in a sec. Um, Robin and I, testimony, we're, our plan is like, okay, we're looking to start the paperwork in 2018. We'd love to adopt one or two children. 
a few years after that, we're hoping and praying about maybe providing a home for, in our home for moms, single moms. And then maybe a few years later, once our kids are older, heading out of the house or out of the house um, uh, just to, fo- to work on fostering, especially older children. So that's, you know, y'all will be all, a lot of y'all will be part of that with us and helping us and doing some of that yourself. But that's kind of our plan. Um, I know that Arrow is an adoption agency I've heard great things about. The Pelchin is nearby. One of our friends works for them. I know there are tons of others. You can get certified for respite care. That's short-term fostering. I'm just going to pass through that. Um, You could mentor aged-out youth. The stats are terrible on aged-out youth. This is a really overlooked need. Um, You can minister to biological families. So 70% of foster kids go back to their biological families. So you can get involved that way. Um, Those of us who do adopt or foster who are called to that um, will need a lot of support. So you could be part of that support system. You could get certified to babysit because you have to be CPR certified um, and background check to, to, uh, to babysit a foster child. So there's a short list usually. You can organize a meal train or provide groceries. You could offer financial assistance because, again, adoption is expensive, although fostering isn't necessarily. Um, but there are lots of hidden costs in fostering, so it's just nice to know, like, my church has got me on this, or they're helping. Um, you can offer to help around the house. You could donate furniture or clothing or supplies. Um, you could attend court appointments with foster uh, parents because it really could be scary and confusing. And also, you can pray. Um, and that's what, some of what we did on, on Wednesday, and we'll continue to do that, to be a praying church, because prayer is the offensive. Prayer is the beginning of getting involved, okay? Um, let me finish with this. Like Joseph, like Jesus, and because of Jesus, we are free to deprive ourselves that another might flourish, okay? Because of Jesus and what he's done for us, we are free. We've been freed. We've been freed to deprive ourselves that another might benefit. That is the gospel. Adoption is the gospel. Let's walk together into learning what being a culture of life where it's normal to adopt, to foster, to support, to fight human trafficking, where it's normal for that kind of thing to happen because of what Jesus has done for us. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for... um, the fact that you are our father because of your dear son, Jesus Christ, who has brought us into the family. Um, I thank you for your love. I thank you for the sacrifice that you, that you went to at ultimate cost to yourself so that we could benefit. I pray that you make us the kind of church, Lord, that just lives that out. Not, not to be um, accepted, but because we are. Just letting go of everything else that we chase after and knowing we have what we need, we have you, we're secure. And so advancing into darkness, advancing into poverty, advancing into brokenness to see restoration, to see wholeness, that is the gospel. I thank you, Jesus, for it. Um, In Jesus' name I pray, amen.